This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon here along with the student of the game, Kyle Nash, Andrew Glukov as well. Bryson and Nick will be joining us a little bit later, but we have a lot to talk about. And this is, this is the week when things really move really quick, right? So uh, we got basketball to talk about. We're not just previewing the men's tournament. We're talking about the women who got a dub yesterday, Kyle Nash. That's great. Um, they got to, and they have a uh, game against Memphis later today. We're recording this on Tuesday, just before noon Eastern Tuesday. We'll also talk a little bit of conference stuff with Drew, so he can clarify some things for us. And we'll also talk baseball. I had a rough weekend against uh, Georgia Southern, and we'll recap softball as well. Kyle, what were you going to say? I was going to say, yeah, that 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 game hours away, Jeff. Yeah, so by the time you hear this, it might be over already. I don't know, but we'll try and get this thing up as quickly as, as we can. So you can follow us, UCF Banner at underscore SBN, uh, as well as on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. So let's dive right in. All right, let's start with the women because uh, they finished off their, uh, obviously finished off the regular season, lost at Tulsa, but then got revenge on them on Monday, yesterday, when we are recording this. Uh, beat them 69-53 in the first round. UCF is the 10 seed in the tournament. Tulsa's the 7. So that's an upset. And they now move on in, at the American Athletic Conference Championship in Fort Worth, Dickey's Arena, to play the 2 seed Memphis Tigers, whom UCF lost to by just two points in the previous meeting uh, earlier this season. Uh, and that was at Memphis, uh, nonetheless. So, um, Kyle, let's start with you. And I want to recap the Tulsa game real quick first because we've talked about it. You mentioned it right before we hopped on at long, and the players mentioned it after the game. At long last, the third quarter worked out for the Knights this year. Oh, absolutely! Not only did it work out, it might have been. I think it was tied for the second highest third quarter score in the season. At least that's what my source is telling me. And um, the gap there, I think it was 24-14 um, in that particular quarter, it just definitely sealed the game up. I mean, to that point, uh, Tamira Poindexter, who was put on to the uh, first conference team ahead of De- Destiny Thomas, who had her 13th double-double, and yet we're not talking about her as an all-conference player, but I digress. Um, you know, had she had a big night for a while, then eventually ended up fouling out of the game. She got a tech in the first half, and then... Um, an intentional foul. Um, so they were once they were without her, the uh, the the offense for Tulsa was was basically just completely stymied at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's I, the, one of the keys too. I thought in that second half, you know, let's pour one out for uh, Maya Burns out here because you know she had been scoreless in the first half, and in the third quarter she goes off for twelve points, and. You know that's one of the things I think that was key to the, uh, key to that game as well was, um, you know sometimes in tournament play, and we all know this, you got to get contributions from players who you know don't nor- maybe don't normally contribute as much as normal, but the matchups work out that way because you know the other team's already familiar with you. Maya Burns, like we said, we had tw- had twelve in the third, nineteen for the game, and then Layla Jewett, yeah, was about twenty there. points. Uh, and six assists, she was fantastic yesterday. Uh, listen, I mean, Jeff, you pick out two. Maya's been known to have a game where she'll pop up like that. That That's the kind of thing that happens. And listen, um, I, I have to credit the coaching staff for Tulsa. If UCF's coming to town and you don't account for Destiny Thomas, or at least try to, you did a bad job. And even still, she got, uh, I think it was 11 and 10 or 10 and 11. I might have mixed up. But the punchline being the backcourt of UCF took advantage of that and had probably one of their best scoring stints as a group all in the year, right? We mentioned Maya, Layla Jewett coming out, which, you know, I asked her about after being in the tournament last year as a reserve coming on, being able to contribute this big, how she felt about that. And she went basic. I I don't have the words, you know, and and just (laughs) incredibly happy to be able to contribute like that with this group, you know, getting her chance. And then Rachel Ranke had 10. 
to have that much contribution in double digits from players from the backcourt. I mean, easily the best backcourt performance for the years. But you may be wondering, Jeff, what about Sierra Godbold? She didn't score a lot. No, but as a freshman point guard, tied a conference tournament record, 10 assists. Yeah. As a freshman doing that. Yeah, I know two other players did it. I doubt they were freshmen. I haven't done the research. Maybe Bryson will correct me at some point, as he tends to do. But listen... This backcourt, this was the backcourt's single best game of the year. It was the team's single best third quarter of the year. Building on that, first of all, the fact that the halftime score was what it was despite Poindexter scoring 12 points uh, before she uh, was sitting uh, on the bench with foul trouble. That was impressive enough, and it was funny watching the commentary. I'm going to channel a little bit of uh, Eric Lopez and critique the commentary as much as they were just beaming about Tamira Poindexter, and rightly so. She's a fantastic player. She was definitely a hands-down freshman of the year pick last year. That was awesome. This year she should have been, I don't know about first all-conference team, but definitely was worthy of one of the votes, no doubt. Mm -hmm. But the fact that Layla Jewett, came off and went she got 12 points to uh point detectors uh 14 in the first half and ucf leading 30 to 29 was a big part of it and like i said the third quarter basically uh took it home and again contribution so much from the backcourt easily their best game as a group um you know and of course taking nothing away from the front court group there i mean they hutton may not have scored a lot but she had a ton of rebounds as well yeah so that's spin it forward to the to uh the the quarterfinals now. UCF played Memphis earlier this year, lost 50-48 to in overtime in a game where they went one for six in the overtime period. On the road. Um, on the road, nonetheless. Um, and listen, played a really good defensive game over. This it, it's, it's really one of those games that's kind of a head-scratcher because they held Memphis. This is an incredible number. They lost this game to Memphis despite holding the Tigers to 19% from the field for the game. Memphis was 15 for 79 in this game. And uh, and that included Madison Griggs, who shot 18 shots and made and missed 15 of them. Also, uh, Jamira Schutz was 4 for 21 in this game for Memphis. Um, meanwhile, on the other side for UCF, they just couldn't. This is a game that I think they look back on. They're like, man, we we beat ourselves in this game because even though they shot 29 percent, 16 of 55, they let Memphis hang around. Um, UCF committed 27 turnovers in this game. That's re- to, to Memphis's 11. That's really how they lost this game, uh, 50 to 48 in overtime. So they get another shot. At Memphis, um, who finished with the two seed, really surprising season for the Tigers this year. Um, but this is a gettable game, right, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, with all that in mind, you mentioned the turnovers, uh, and rightly so. You know, in that particular scenario, and I'm looking at the third quarter numbers. Um, they weren't bad, but they certainly weren't the same as as what you saw um, against Tulsa. But I will say this. Free throws are a thing that can kill this group at times as well, particularly free throws in the third quarter. Um, They tend to miss them at that point if there's a time of the game. I'll mention that same Memphis game, five for nine, missing four three throws. Hey, that might have had something to do with the outcome later down the stretch. And they actually uh, did not do their best free throw shooting as a team. The front court at one point in the game had missed all six that they had taken between Desto and Nahutton. So if they still have that room to improve, to make it kind of a perfect game. And, you know, we were here last year um, that free throws were a factor for Abe's team when they uh, were uh, uh, when they uh, lost to UConn in the NCAA tournament, right? So Yeah, that was a, that was a big bugaboo for them at times. You know? and yeah, no different with this group. Uh, that commonality, I mean, that's a basketball axiom that you got to hit those free throws. And I'll put it this way. Considering what Sierra Godbolt did yesterday with two – only two turnovers and 10 assists. I don't think that 27 turnover number is going to be a factor in this game. So I have plenty of good expectation that this is absolutely winnable. Drew? I, I agree. I, you know, you look at Memphis is coming in on a, on a seven-game winning streak, which, mm-hmm. which, you know, you think, oh, that's great. Uh, they struggled against UCF, squeaked out a win. The next game at Houston, they won by one point, and it wasn't an impressive game. And then yeah. they had been an overtime later at SMU, 
they haven't played in six days. So you have UCF who played their most one of their most complete third quarters of the year, which has always been their Achilles heel. You could say their most complete, Drew. I'll let it pass. All right. I'm yeah. not, I didn't want to go all the way on there, but you could, <laughs> it, it, it was a complete game. Uh, they they did they did their job. And, I'm only saying that, Drew, because Coach would agree with you for what it's worth. And they're riding high. You've got that 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 good energy going forward into this round. You have a team that hasn't played six day in six days, and they've had a couple of wins during that. You know, three wins during that seven win streak that weren't really all that impressive against teams that are below them. Mm-hmm. So there there is there is opportunity to be had there, but they have to take care of the ball. Uh, turnovers has always been an issue with this team. Uh, they they just they're very mistake prone. However, they toned it down this last game. We see what happens when they actually are able to to put it together. Uh, there's also the the fact if they win this next game, it guarantees them a winning season. It's uh, true, they're, they're, or at least an above 500 season because they're 14 and 14 right now. 500 and above is is uh, a winning season. You know, below 500, obviously that's a losing season. So either you're losing or you're winning. We'll say it's not a losing season because yeah. People don't like talking about ties. I get it, Drew. But <laughs> we don't do ties in America. <laughs> no losing season if they win today. Right. And to your point about turnovers, Drew, man, they had a stretch where they had more than 20 or 25. I forget how long it was. Um, this was also one of those games, as you're noting here, uh, Jeff mentioned 27. But they've also been trending down as the season's ended. And, and I really think it was um, – uh, I think it was Maya Burns after the uh, final home game here that acknowledged, hey, this is the healthiest we've been all year, and it's showing. Yeah. So uh, UCF against Memphis will be Tuesday. Uh, that's tonight if you're getting this on the day when it put, pops into your feet on the way home. 7 p.m. That's on ESPN+. Plus. This is quarter. This is quarterfinal Tuesday in the American Championship. Uh, by the way, UCF was the only lower seed to advance out of the first round. Uh, Temple lost to Wichita State uh, on the other side of the bracket. Of course, Houston and SMU are the 4-5. Neither of them played in the first day. Uh, On the UCF side of the bracket, Tulane knocked off Cincinnati, so they play ECU, who's the three seed on the other side of UCF. And then um, the Knights play uh, Memphis tonight. If UCF gets by Memphis, um, they would likely play ECU, and uh, I want to go back and look. So they lost the close game at the Purple Pirates uh, in the last timeout against uh, on February 18th. Um, they also lost, uh, and, and they lost by 14 back in early February. That was when the team was really banged up, I think, though, right, Kyle? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah we were missing a lot. I don't even think uh, Ashton Verholst was back yet. Right. So, all right, I, I don't, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, okay, but. This tournament, it's kind of it's kind of laid out right now for UCF. If they can if they can get by Memphis, you get a shot at likely ECU or Tulane. You know, let's let's not discount Tulane, who by the way UCF lost to earlier this season as well, um, and that was at home. But again, that was during that stretch in like mid January when they were really struggling. Well, and it started um, November the injuries, Jeff. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right, but. Call me crazy. I think that's a winnable game either way. And then you never know. You get your shot at USF. Now, USF, This let's be clear. This is their tournament to lose. Okay? Yeah. Um, and, and they've, if you're, you know, if you have at gunpoint, you know, bet them, right? But, um, again, you know, one game situation. You just never know, especially with a team that can get hot at the right time and a third matchup weird stuff happens i'm just saying yeah no you're so. not wrong about the third matchup well, really quick ashton verholz did come back in that east carolina game but the point is there were a lot of injuries around that time that is accurate and and, and i'll say yeah. let, let, let's get there first because those any usf ucf game well, i mean this is true throughout a lot of sports but when the when the women's teams battle each other is always a battle at least for a while. Now, you know, it'll either end close or, or somebody will start to pull away, but that first half typically is incredibly competitive. Um, yeah. So 
that's that's a thing to account for. You stay around, suddenly you can become a game. I'm with you on that. Okay. But you're right. Let's get there first. And the 10 seed Knights have to beat Memphis on uh, Tuesday, uh, ESPN plus 7 p.m. Eastern time to tip off from Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth. All right. Switch over to the men who, by the way, they start uh, their first round on Thursday, which is the same day as the uh, women's championship game. Remember how they do this, where the women tournament place women's tournament place first at Dickey's um, in Fort Worth, and then the the men's first round because they have like that they have those three first round games, and then the women's final is that night at nine p.m., which I think is cool. I like kind of having both teams. I, I always liked how I think was it Conference USA who does them both at the Star in. In uh, in Dallas, where they have like two courts going at the same time, I just always thought that was cool. Um, uh, Noah Goldberg may disagree with me on that, but whatever. Um, all right, so here's the uh, situation laid out for uh, for the UCF men's uh, basketball team. They got that key win uh, to finish up the regular season on Senior Day against ECU. So right now they're at 17 and 13. They finished eight and 10. Uh, in the conference, and they will play SMU in the first round. ESPNU, Thursday, 2.30 p.m. Now, um, looking at the bracket for them, obviously they have to take care of SMU, a team that uh, – did. oh, I forget that they say. Did they, beat, did they beat SMU the first time they played him? No, they, they, they didn't because that was the game that Michael Derrick – Oh, that's got. right. Or, or wait, no, no, they be, no, they did beat SMU. Uh, when they played, yeah, they beat him eighty-five, fifty-three. Beat him by thirty-two. Uh, that was that was all the way back on January the eighth, and that was the only time that those two teams um, have played. But get another shot at them here. Shorter drive for SMU. Obviously, they're kind of the home team here, you know, because they're playing in the Dallas area. But whatever. Um, tournament bracket um, looks like this. You know, if you're if you're UCF, uh, they would play. If they beat SMU. At 2.30 Eastern, again on Thursday, March the 9th, then they would face the number two seed, Memphis Tigers, who it is believed they will be in the NCAA tournament regardless of their result. But let's not forget, UCF did beat them in in double overtime on the home floor in Orlando and should have beaten them. I think everyone around the program would say that in the game against Memphis. So... Uh, I did have an article. There was an article. I forget who wrote it from the Athletic, who said, you know, who, who, who you know picked out like four or five teams that you got to watch out for in Championship Week, and they picked UCF as one of the teams that you got to watch out for because of their early season success and the fact that the Knights get to avoid Houston, who's on the other side of the bracket. So, um, Kyle, let me start with you. How does this tournament look to you for the men's team? What do they got to get done here so that they can, you know? maybe make a run here because I think, because I think what's at stake here is not just and Drew. You can speak to this a little bit later. Um, getting an NIT berth, I think may hinge upon how UCF performs in this tournament. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's, that's not a question about the, the NIT point, but, and, and you would ask me this question of what it would take to get this team to be a possible tournament team before they went on, you know, that, that bit of a slump towards the end here. I mean, they're, they're, you know, we got four losses in the last six games, but before we got to that point, you would ask a similar question of the panel. What do they need to be in the tournament to try to get, put themselves in a position to, to battle for the dance uh, in, in air quotes, legitimate fashion. First thing I said without hesitation, that was the lowest hanging fruit was health. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. Jeff? Sharon? This is the healthiest they've been. In some time, I mean, with, yeah. obviously they're without C.J. Walker, but both C.J. Kelly and and Coach uh, and Coach Dawkins have have said this is the healthiest we've been in a long time, and and that I can't stress enough how big a deal of, uh, that that actually is, and also it's far enough away from Michael Durr returning to the to the lineup that they're back to keeping teams under sixty points. Remember Dawkins. Mm-hmm. Year, last year throughout his coaching tenure has preached defense as if it were a weekly sermon <laughs> maybe the guys who are in practice would say it's more often than weekly who knows but the, the michael durr's presence taylor hendrick's ability to start his own block party at any notice um you know over the over and above his what seems to be a shoe-in element of him being freshman of the conference you know i, I think those that's that's the hugest part is that they're healthy 
And, you know, they're a versatile group who can play defense, who can shoot from the outside. I know there's stats out there that say that they might have the worst shooting percentage in, 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 the, in the country, but here's the thing. When this team gets hot, they can light it up pretty darn fast. Just ask Ithiel Horton. Yeah. Uh, Drew, UCF right now 72nd in the net, and I think one of the big issues that we're seeing right now is there have been a fair number of upsets in these conference tournaments that are – and remember the rule is with the NIT is if you win your conference regular season but losing your conference tournament, you get an automatic bid to the NIT. And that becomes a problem for UCF because – all of a sudden, they're starting to see, like, I was looking at the NIT bracketology things that you sent me from Barking Crow and and from um, D ratings. UCF's not in that, in, in those bracket, NIT bracketologies anymore. And I think part of that's because, it's not because they've fallen out, but other teams are kind of getting locked in. And there's a limited number of, quote, at large, end quote, NIT spots. Yeah, and that's it's very true. Uh, not only that, but you know, you start looking at, at the various resumes. The net rating doesn't necessarily mean the whole thing, whether a team gets in or not. Uh, a lot of talk about Nebraska getting in; they have a very unattractive net rating compared to UCF, but they have quad one wins. You know, they mm-hmm. have multiple quad one wins, whereas UCF is what one in four in, in quadrant one. However, let, let's let's look at, at what's going on in the tournament. UCF's not out of it. They they need to make a right. run. Uh, they're on the outside looking in. Uh, despite having the better net rating, Cincinnati's viewed more favorably. Even Tulane is viewed more favorably, despite the the major difference in, in net. UCF seventy two, Tulane ninety nine. So UCF goes. They play SMU. Obviously, that that's punching down. SMU two hundred tenth. They get another chance at Memphis. That's a quad one game. Neutral mm-hmm. territory, Memphis 34th in the net. So there, there's a big quad one opportunity right there. You win that, they could spring themselves back into the conversation of the NIT. Uh, but they, they need to make a run. And as yeah. Kyle said, they're the healthiest they've been in a long time. Mm-hmm. So you expect this SMU game to, to, to go okay, before, you know, and then you go up against Memphis where UCF's just been able to cause the Tigers all sorts of grief. True. Let me ask you the point blank question. If they get far enough, because I don't see a universe where they beat, they'll compete probably, but they won't beat Houston. If they get to the conference final and lose to Houston, would that be enough to get them in the IT? If they get to the conference final, I think they will, because that means they're still going to have to go through uh, likely Tulane. And, you know, even though Tulane is, is currently 99, that's still a top 100. That's a, that's a quad two game. Uh, so that that pads the resume. It also would mean Cincinnati gets knocked down. It would mean you know Tulane gets knocked down. UCF gets to prop themselves up. Uh, the the problem is, and it's Jeff said, you know, the regular season champion is guaranteed no less than the NIT. And you're seeing more and more in the mid and low major conferences that number one seed falling. Uh, we're, we're I think we're at, we're at half a dozen already that that. Uh, that have fallen um, from that number one seed. A lot yeah. of it's going on. And that just means spots are filling up. And UCF being one of those fringe teams needs to make a really good showing. So I, I think if they can make a run to the finals, they can put together a good resume to jump back into the conversation. Obviously, this is going to be a constant flux between now and Selection Sunday. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm with you. I, and I think it, it's – this is another one of those years where I think the debate is going to start coming up where should we give automatic bids to conference regular season champs in addition to conference tournament champs? Or what you're going to end up having is that I think there are going to be some conferences that are going to seriously think about if if things change, um, you know, possibly getting rid of their conference tournaments altogether. And I know that you know ESPN might have something to say about that because they televise all those championship games and they're fun, right? But um, you know, it, it, if you know, it, like we talked about the possibility that you know there could be a minimum percentage of teams that get invited to the postseason tournament. 
um, if the NCAA men's tournament and women's tournament, for that matter, go beyond, say, 96, I think, what was the percentage, Drew? You remember that whole story? It was like 20%. I think it was 20, 25%. 25%, so 300 and some teams. Yeah, so you're, you're talking about, like, yeah, somewhere around, like, 96 teams. Um, you know, that maybe you do start getting – they said they may make an exception on basketball, just the way it, it plays out. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I mean, some of these, some of these, some of these teams that you know should have, you know, have, I, I don't blame them for going around and saying, "Hey, man, like, why does our regular season not matter all of a sudden? Why does it come down to one weekend in you know Dothan, Alabama, all of a sudden?" Well, the regular right? season does matter, though. You know that that is what sets you up for the at-large bids. I mean, it does matter. Uh, you know, same thing with, with college football fans. Oh, the regular season's not going to matter. They're expanding the playoffs. No, the regular season matters. It- it's a little different with the conference tournament, though, I think right. is the point. But, I, I, and, and by the way, I agree with the concept that, that the, the conference winners should matter because that's the marathon versus the sprint of a tournament. I, I get that part. But don't you think the fact that there's, that there's a – if you're a conference – regular season champion that speed bump of the tournament and who knows maybe somebody gets a mild there maybe your best player gets a mild injury and maybe could have played for the rest of the rounds but misses the opening game and loses you know that's that's something to consider right yeah if your resume during the regular season wasn't good enough then that's the way it is uh that that's why you you want to get you punch up when you're you're the little guy and try to make those upsets. You know, you build that resume. However, however, let's also think about this. In basketball, other outside of the other sports, we have secondary tournaments. The NIT is run by the NCAA. It's owned by them. Uh, you know, that's part of it. So uh, they may be able to build exceptions in that, oh, well, you know, we have secondary tournaments uh, for, for other teams that can play for championships. This is not an NCAA championship. It's an NIT championship but they have secondary postseason options that other sports do not have i think what What you may end up yeah i mean it's true but i think what you may end up seeing is the tournament is the conferences actually kind of take think matters into their own hands and do what the west coast conference did did you see that tournament bracket that is ridiculous looking it looks like it's it's a laddered bracket yeah so so they had on the first day they only have two games a day until the championship and it's five rounds and the in the first in the first round eight nine and seven ten play then the winner of seven ten plays the six and the winner of eight nine plays the five and then the winner of that game plays the four and so every and so like depending on where you finished in the conference standings you have like multiple buys like. It's a Gonzaga, Gonzaga in, in the women's team, or excuse me, um, yeah, Gonzaga's number one in the women because that's the bracket I'm looking at. But um, the one and two seeds get buys all the way to the semifinals. They could potentially play a team that has already played three games before that. It's totally wild. But it's one of those things where it's like, hey, they that the West Coast Conference has said, this is how we're going to preserve our best teams. Right? I mean, it's... I kind of don't blame them in that respect, right, Drew? It's definitely outside the box thinking. Uh, the more I look at, it, like when I first saw it, I'm just like, "Whoa!" But you know what? It's actually pretty smart. Uh, aside from from preserving your top teams, you're rewarding your top teams. There you go. Uh, yeah. You know, there's no guarantees in the postseason. However, the best thing you do is get a reward for doing well. And okay, I I can dig that. Plus. You know, the little guys, the, the, the lower seeds, if they want a chance to, to, to go all the way to the top, you know, put them through the gauntlet. Not only are they going through the gauntlet, but they have to punch up in those wins, build their own resume in the process, giving the, giving the league credibility by having a, a not less of a scrub go all the way through. You know, it may be a team that had a rough season, but, hey, if, if Pepperdine goes all the way through, they they beat the five, the four, and the one of their of their conference. Uh, you know, that's uh, that that's pretty good. Uh, and, you know, I, but you 
Well, I think this is brilliant. Okay, <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> BYU, the number five. They don't have to play a first-round game. San Francisco, the number four. They don't have to play a second-round game. This is the women's bracket, by the way, that we're looking at, as an example, right? So, well, and of course, Gonzaga, number one, they're in the semifinals. It's because, you know, they played the best season. They should have the, the easiest chance because it's the most likely chance. And you don't want to overwork your the players there that are likely playing in the postseason and cause potential injuries. Yeah. I don't know. I just think this is – fascinating and i and you're right it is very outside the box thinking but it to me it 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 does the best you it's the best you can do to like solve the dilemma of you know if you're a smaller conference you know how do we do our best to ensure that our best team gets into the ncaa tournament well stack the deck right i would not be surprised to see you know, the, the, the so-called mid-majors, in quote, adopt a format like that. Um, it's it really... It's, every, it won't work for every conference or they'll have to modify it because... No, they, yeah. They've got 10 teams. They can work with five games for, for the lowest teams. But you can't get away with six games in the tournament. So, I mean, you have to... You're going to have to modify it a little bit. Uh, you know, have teams, you know, uh, a matchup in the second round of teams that basically get first round buys or something to that extent and then rework it into the bracket. So, I mean, it really depends on the makeup of the conference. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. Uh, recap for uh, UCF men's basketball. Again, they uh, start their uh, run in the American Athletic Conference Championship Thursday in the first round against SMU, 2.30 p.m. at Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth, uh, and that will be on ESPNU. And then once again, don't forget the women. Um, playing Tuesday uh, on uh, at, at uh, what do you say seven p.m. I forgot what it was. Yes, yeah, seven p.m. for the women. So um, yeah, so we'll be kept, we'll be keeping an eye on the UCF uh, basketball teams as they roll through. And will we play extra games after this week? I don't know. We'll find out. Keep it locked on Black and Gold Banneret for all the latest on that Tuesday seven p.m. Memphis on ESPN Plus uh, for the UCF women, by the way. All right, we get back. We'll talk a little conference realignment. There's been some rumors flying around. We'll ask Drew to break this thing down for us, and we'll also talk some baseball as well. Bryson Turner uh, will pop in to give us an update on UCF baseball. I had a little bit of a rough patch against uh, Georgia Southern this week on the home uh, diamond. Stick around. The Black and Gold Bannerette podcast is back after this. We're back. Jeff and Drew, along with uh, Bryson and Nick here. Uh, Kyle had to dip out because he's got some business to take care of. He's a busy fellow. Uh, and let's talk a little uh, – well, there's there's a little conference uh, realignment news, Drew, that we got to talk – well, maybe. I don't know. Um, report from uh, CBS says the Big 12 has been in contact with the uh, four-corner schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah – as the Pac-12 media rights future remains uncertain, uh, Shahan Jayaraja uh, uh, of CBS uh, with this report. Um, this is the first, it, and about, well, actually, I should say they confirmed it to Dennis Dodd, um, and because uh, he was the original, uh, the originator of the story, also for CBS. So here's the situation is that, you know, the Pac-12 is not looking too hot in terms of their media rights negotiations. There have been some rumors that they might add, at the very least, San Diego State and SMU, maybe two more. Uh, Colorado State has been rumored. Uh, Believe it or not, Boise and Fresno have been said to be not part of those possibilities. Um, But, Drew, as we're now, well... June 30th is always the time of year when we kind of have to look out for some things, right? Um, untangle this for us a little bit. It, it, it's more or less a confirmation of, of rumors that we've heard already. Um, is, the, is, there, is there smoke to this fire or is, there just, or is this really just a threat that, hey, Pac-12, let's get this media deal figured out. Otherwise, you know, we're out. Well, here's the thing, you know, talking to the four corner schools, they've always been talking. Uh, conferences and schools talk all the time. Uh, the fact that they, they, 
from day one that they first said we're going west they've been talking um the fact that the negotiation with the pac-12 and, and the media right side is still going on it's just you know they're they're the conversation's changing a little bit because the clock's ticking they're running out of time uh there's still pieces to put together and stuff. so uh, what you're seeing is now the the internal turmoil of the pac-12 starting to boil a little bit you know they're getting impatient they're getting nervous and they're looking for contingency plans uh this is smart you know you'd be dumb not to start building a contingency if things really don't go your way the fact it's taking this long is giving schools reason to one like you know are we not going to get what we want because if we got what we want we would have already seen it we would have already been able to vote on finalizing uh so things are still moving um you know you have you know multiple schools that are very disgruntled uh you have schools in oregon and washington that have well, washington flat out said look we need to make at least 35 mil or we're gonna have to make start making cuts so you, you now the question is do you start doing uneven revenue distribution uh the other schools aren't gonna like that so you know what mm. create contingency plans and this has two effects one it tells the power brokers of the big 12 hey we're serious stop jerking us around and two if things don't go their way they have a place to land yeah the um pete thamel of espn reported uh yesterday monday march the 6th that uh obviously this week is the pac-12 men's basketball tournament in las vegas it's also kind of like the pac-12 convention if you will um there have been rumors that they would that you know would the pac-12 take its media contract to all streaming all the time basically um a source according to thamel a source told him on sunday that a streaming only media deal with no presence on traditional linear television is not an option for the league a streaming platform sub now a streaming platform sub licensing traditional tv is a potential path as apple and amazon have been linked to the league as streaming suitors so you know could they could like apple buy the rights and then sell it to you know, Fox or something. I mean, that's that's that's, that's what that sounds like to me. We had that with UCF. Uh, you know, ESPN bought the rights, sold it to CBS Sports in the first contract for, mm -hmm. for the Americans. So I, that's that's not unheard of. Uh, but yeah. ESPN had been looking at at the Pac-12, but at a discounted rate. Their their money's tied up. That you know, the traditional linear. So is their inventory? Yeah, they they they. They can find ways to squeeze the inventory, especially because it's it's the, the Pacific Coast. They can find spots in the inventory there. However, right, but I don't think the Pac-12 wants that. They want a you know, plan, but at least you can get you know seven p.m. you know, and then of course the ten o'clock windows. The bigger problem is they just don't have the cash. Right. I mean, that's the thing is like if you're if you're still if you're gonna go in on Pac-12 after dark, I mean that's fine, but you're freezing yourself out of those Eastern markets where you would get you know the kind of money that it seems like oregon and washington would want right well i mean they, they they want the world but the thing is here's the truth there's an east coast bias in american sports there always has been there always will be yeah. uh, there's there's an east coast bias in everything why because there's more people in cities on the east coast than on the west coast the, er, yeah because the earliest the west coast teams can realistically play is maybe like a 2 30 kickoff you know 11 a or 11 you know on the 11 o'clock range 11 30 yeah you know, 11 to pacific. 11 range on the pacific coast uh you can't go any earlier than that so as a result you know you have you know the the eastern time zone who has pretty much the play you know the the pick of the litter you know because obviously the 10 o'clock window is your after dark they call it after dark because of the east coast yeah <laughs> the name itself screens the east coast bias so uh there there's a natural bias there and yeah there's viewership and, and numbers that that support more money the more money's just not there you know apple and amazon are new to this party they're not going to overextend to buy this product espn doesn't have the money to do it that's why the the Big 12 jumped ahead. They knew. They knew what ESPN's limitations were, and they specifically did not go to market because of that. They're like, all right, let's let's you know make it work here. 
Uh, we don't want to go to market. We want to lock up with you guys. Uh, let's make this work. And they did. I mean, it was it was Brett Yormark just absolutely. He was playing chess uh, like three or four D while the Pac-12 was playing checkers. I mean, they yeah. you know, totally out kicking their own coverage and and not being able to 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 make a move. So this all comes down to protections and and, and contingency plans because the last thing you want to do is be left out in the cold. So as we came up posting, uh, Colorado, uh, or I'm, I don't remember if it was Board of Regents or Board of Trustees, whoever their board is, uh, is scheduled to meet today. And one of the topics is some legal issues and an update on the Pac-12. And everyone's like, oh, my God, it's happening. Pump the brake a little bit because he actually also posted later uh, that the school clarified they can't make any conference moves out in, in a – outside of a public forum this one mm-hmm. is not one of those so right. uh, would they be talking about potential stuff sure but but nothing is happening yeah no, sorry the meeting is mean thanks Bryson. the meeting's tomorrow uh but they can't make any formal moves so i mean we're not going to have anything between now and tomorrow really change as far as uh you know, you know affiliation news but as we creep closer towards June 30th, which is the deadline to make the move before you have to wait through another academic year. Uh, you're going to see something happen. You know, it's either New Deal, everyone stays, or you got teams or programs and schools moving over. Uh, um, quick little aside, uh, Thamel interestingly wrote... Uh... Colorado and Arizona are the odds-on candidates to jump first to the Big 12, um, which I think is interesting. Um, And he said, after all, there's only so much nobility sticking on a ship that nearly everyone thinks will sink in 60 months. Um, Colorado, because, you know, they they have familiarity with the Big 12 from having been there before. And then Arizona, because the basketball stuff. And then I, I just want to bring up this one interesting quote. From, of all people, Mike Trangisi, who is the Big East Commissioner uh, for for 19 years, from 1990 to 2009, and was basically the guy in charge of the, who was piloting the plane as it crashed and, and eventually led to the uh, formation of the American. Uh, interesting quote from, Tra- from Trangisi, quote, There's something I've learned about membership. Don't trust anyone. Everyone is going to do what they think is in their best interest. Everyone is going to do what they think they have to do to position their schools. That's the world college athletics has been living in for a long time, end quote. Well, let's take it a step further with Arizona. I mean, Colorado just kind of speaks for itself. It's familiarity, and they had success in the Big 12. They have not had success in the Pac-12. So moving back, uh, you know, may bring more success to their programs. Arizona... Arizona is is learning now of how bad the elitism is out of the California schools and Oregon and Washington, and that it's actually working to the detriment of the conference. Uh, as we know, Cal and Stanford have, are very um, full of themselves when it comes to uh, lo- looking at lesser life forms of other schools. Right? <laughs> Mere carbon-based life forms. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, they, they, they look down. They really do. They look down. Uh, Arizona also does not want to have to cut down on, uh, you know, with uneven revenue sharing. They feel they're one of the big dogs. And, and you know, while football, they, they've, they've had, they've never really been the top-tier program, a top-tier firm, they certainly are in basketball. So they, they don't want to have to be stuck as a second-class citizen Whereas, you know, the Oregons and the Washingtons get, get a bigger piece of the pie. So it makes yeah. perfect sense that they uh, would start aligning more with the Big 12. Remember, Arizona, Arizona State were, were the last two to join this conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, before, you know, before when it became the Pac-10 from the Pac-8. Utah yeah. and Colorado came. Uh, so I, they, they weren't always there. They joined in the, in the 70s. Uh, yeah. They were part of the whack, the you know, back in the day. So uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be unprecedented to see to see them move. 
uh, you know, you're you're seeing in real time uh, the potential destruction of of this conference. And as you know, Oregon and Washington are always going to be looking over their shoulder, waiting for the Big Ten to call. Yeah, it happened when Kevin Warren was still there. Who knows? They're they're sitting there staring at the phone. That yeah, that, that whoever the new because obviously nothing's happened until a new commissioner comes along. Uh, it depends on what a new commissioner wants to do. Uh, you know, they may have to take a lesser cut to be able to to even join the Big Ten. Do it in a heartbeat, though, because mm. the, so, the next contract. So let me ask you this before we move over to baseball. Um, uh, come on, Drew, just tell us when they're going to move and who's going to move. No, um, but if you had to bet your own money based on what we know right now, what do you think happens June 30th? Uh, by June 3rd, I think the four corners move. Uh, all I, four of them. I think all four will end up moving. I don't. Uh, you're going to see. You're going to see this thing fall apart. Uh, reasoning is uh, they're just not going to bring in enough to make the numbers work. They, 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 it's just you know these schools have been working on certain budgets for a certain amount of time. Uh, they can't, you know, survive on a large scale cut, and and the. You put it on a streaming-only option. Uh, as we know, viewership on streaming-only options is not going to cut it. Uh, not even the Mountain West does that. No, they they did the MTN and it failed. Uh, the Pac-12 Network has failed. Uh, you know, you want they want ESPN. They they need ESPN Plus, uh, which you know has much better traction than Apple TV, uh, and then you know, Amazon Amazon Prime. You know, people don't log on to Amazon Prime to watch sports all that much. You know, you're seeing with, the, you know, they do it occasionally with the, with the NFL, uh, but mm. that's a very niche group. You're not going to get casual people. You get casual people or fans of college football in general who may not be fans of your conference or your schools, but just fans in general, casual fans, uh, tuning in on linear television. They want their, you know. They want to wait till their game starts. They got nothing going on. They put on the TV. Oh, look, it's this game. Let's just leave it on. So uh, they're they're gonna really hurt on their numbers if they get yeah. all or almost all streaming options. And these guys aren't stupid. They know that. But you know, they they had a massive amount of hubris. Uh, their pride has gotten in their way of common sense, and they're they're going. The death spiral's going. Uh, I don't see them making enough to, to really keep these schools. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, we continue to monitor the situation as it continues to unfold. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk baseball and softball. Bryson and Nick will be joining us um, to uh, you know, sort some things out with baseball. A little bit of a... A little bit of a, an ebb for both squads. Softball's lost four in a row, and they were out at the Judy Garman Classic. Um, baseball lost two out of three to Georgia Southern to kind of come back to earth. What do they have to do to get back uh, uh, to get back on the winning side of things? Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We are back on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Bryson and Nick joining yours truly. Jeff Sharon here on the show. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some UCF baseball and softball. Bryson, I want to start with you. Baseball lost two out of three to Georgia Southern. Got off to a good start, 6-4 win on Friday. But then gave up, what, 11 runs in the first inning on Saturday, and then Sunday wasn't all that much better. Um, this is coming right off of that three-game sweep at Clemson, and then they uh, shut out Bethune-Cookman. And, you know, baseball's kind of funny, Bryson. Like, it has this way of, like, dragging you back down to earth real quick. And I think that's what happened here. I mean, they're still 8-3, and three, but, it, you know, and Georgia Southern's good. Let's not take away from them. But I think they come away with this thinking, man, that's a pretty uh, – the, 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 it's not so much the fact that they lost two out of three, but the fact that the pitching staff really got rocked in those last two games, I think, is, is one of the things that's – you think that's cause for concern right now? Well, it's not just just the, the pitching staff in general. Let's not forget that this team has Jacob Marlowe, who has the eighth lowest whip in the entire country, who got the win, by the way, in that Friday game. No, the big thing that, that this team needs 
and Greg Lovely mentions it in some in the Sunday post game, which you can watch on the Black and Gold Banner at YouTube channel, that it's the starting pitching that needs to get better. Even in the win, the starting pitching put UCF in a hole early. The, the Knights offense had to score six unanswered runs in order to in order to win that game on a walk-off. So even though they lost the last two games, that was just because the starting pitching took put them in too bad of a hole early, especially in that 11-run first inning. So between Rudy, Gom- Rudy Gomez, Ben Vespi, Dom Stagliano, Cameron Leiter, um, each of those guys need to be able to get on better starts so that way they don't have to rely on a very good UCF offense, mind you. They got double-digit hits in every three games. It's a great offense, but you can't rely on them to bail you out of bad starts. And so they, the starting pitching really just needs to get them off to, be, to better starts, and that way we can see them get get wins against teams like Georgia Southern. I think that we, I think by Maryland, I think we sh- we should try to see if they can get shape things up by Maryland because right now they have uh, Tr- Nor- Nor- Troy coming to town next weekend. They do have the FSU series, but. I would say as far as a weekend series goes, I would really love to see some improvement in the starting pitching by Maryland at the latest, I think. Mm. Yeah, uh, I, well, here's here's the thing. You mentioned Troy, which, you know, first things first, got to play UNF at home. Um, and uh, I'm just looking up UNF right now just to see, you know, what, they, you know, what they've been able to do so far this year. Well, they're eight and five. That's not so bad. They've won four in a row. Um, coming off of beating uh, four, they actually beat Fordham four games in a row uh, in Jacksonville. Um, but then Troy, whoa, they're eleven and zero this year. Um, you know, uh, have they been beating world beaters? Not really. USC, Upstate, UAB, Stony Brook, Evansville, and Alabama State. But still, it's got to count for something. And you know, when I look at uh, when I look at Troy, you know, they were picked eighth in the Sun Belt preseason poll, which is not great. But you know, so far they've been doing exactly what they've been needing to do. So, chance to get kind of right the ship here a little bit. Uh, but you can't overlook you can't you can't overlook Troy or UNF at least at this point, right? I w- I wouldn't say overlook them. I maybe came off that a little bit wrong. I, what I mean to say is that. You know, UCF was still able to sweep Siena and Clemson with the pitching that they have. What I think I mean, what I kind of meant is, is that teams like Georgia Southern, who were like a top 16 national seed, were able to best these UC, these UCF starting pitchers. So while these UCF starting pitchers, I think, are good enough to do those things, mm-hmm. I think so. Uh, there's a certain point where a good enough offense like Georgia Southern's is going to to get make them pay for all their work. So I, so I think it's really more of getting the starting rotation to a point where teams like those are not going to absolutely kill you. Now, the game one did prove that even though you could get into a hole early, this offense can fight back, but you don't want to have to rely on that every time. The key is, is that you want to prevent in games like games two and three where you're put into so bad of a hole that you the even the offense as good as they have been with homers and such can't get out of it yeah all right well unf is uh at home tuesday 6 p.m at john Juliano park troy friday saturday sunday six four and one respectively and then uh tuesday next tuesday at six first of two back to back against florida state at home this is a pretty pretty decent home stretch for ucl let's see seven 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 games in a row at home um, at North Florida on March 21st and then back home for three more against Maryland. UCF doesn't leave the state until April the 6th uh, when they begin uh, their the road half of their conference slate at East Carolina. Um, so, yeah, that works out. I'd say that works out pretty favorably for UCF going forward, at least in this in this position. So we shall monitor that going forward. All right. Uh, UCF softball, one and four in the Judy Garman Classic. That's out in Fullerton, California, playing some really tough competition. Um, they were in every game but one. Um, beat Fresno State one to nothing. Lost to Michigan two to nothing. Played UCLA right down to the right down to the dirt. Uh, uh, number two UCLA, I should mention. Lost that game two to one. Eight to two loss against Loyola Marymount, and then an eight to six loss at Cal State Fullerton. They resume play. UCF does softball wise in Gainesville 
on Wednesday against number eight uh, Florida. Uh, Nick, I want to get you in here to talk a little bit about softball. You know, I think that, I mean, how do you kind of evaluate this? Because, you know, I mean, that, like we said, that's some pretty good competition that they played, and it was out west, so, you know, long road trip. Um, but, you know, I get the feeling that Coach Bears probably like, you know, we got we just didn't quite have enough pitching to get us over the hump. I mean, if the pitching was was good, especially against UCLA, I thought, but just not enough. Still trying to figure out that staff, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you got to be a little frustrated. I mean, there are, like, small victories, like you said. They pitched really good against UCLA. They're one of the best teams in the country. And, look, if you're going to lose to them by, like, one run – on the one hand, that sucks because it's like you're so close to beating them. But on the other hand, it's like, you know what? Whatever. Fair enough. But, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really just that, though. It's They still just have not figured out pitching yet. And there are nights I will watch the pitching and the entire defense in general, and I am just impressed. But then there are nights you just don't see it. it to me, it's just inconsistency. Their pitching is just so up and down. And they just, like you said, they haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. Like, it's not panic time yet, but at the same time, I am like, you got to figure this out soon because, you know, they're two games below 500 right now, so you want to start seeing a little bit more of a winning streak go on here. Yeah, you want you want to get that trend moving up by the time, you know, conference play rolls around, which as I'm looking at the softball schedule right now is right around the corner, um, March 24th. Uh, basically two weeks from now, they open with Wichita State. But this week at Florida, and then uh, four games, at, or excuse me, five games at home against the likes of Toledo, uh, two games against the Rockets, one on Friday night, one on Saturday afternoon. Saturday after, Saturday evening against Kennesaw State, Sunday morning against North Dakota, and Sunday afternoon against Kennesaw. And that's before they play a doubleheader next Tuesday against uh, Rutgers at home. So, you know, Step down, let's be honest, okay? Step down in competition from what they were playing this past weekend. So perhaps a chance to kind of get things underway. And one little stat I wanted to get out there, too. Uh, even though they were 168th in the country in Team ERA at 3.98, they are tied for 35th in triples and f- tied for 44th in home runs per game. And, t- and also 63rd in the country in slugging percentage at 449 as a team. So the one thing that's good is that the hitting has actually kept them you know, relatively afloat so far, uh, at least at this point in the year, right? Yeah, 100%. Like, the hitting itself, like an offense, that, that's really impressed me. There's so many hitters that have, you know, maybe feel comfortable. Like, you know, like, like I said, it's not panic time yet. That's partly because of why. Like, it's it's kind of similar to what we were just saying with baseball. Like, there are times where the, the offense can kind of, like, make up for the pitching struggles. But, you know, you can't rely on that always. But... Yeah, it's, if, the, if the hitting keeps doing what they're doing, then um, I'm comfortable. Again, it's yeah. just something that needs to improve a little bit. Yeah. A big shout-out, by the way, to Chloe Evans, who is right now 17th in the country in uh, doubles. She's been fantastic. Um, yeah, and uh, and 6th in the conference in, in homers. And Savannah Adams and Jada Cody uh, thir- tied for 3rd in the conference with homers with uh, 4 right now. Um, on the season and Jada fourth in the uh, conference in uh, run scored per game, which is uh, right around one, you know, you know, you're getting one run a game for, you know, out of Jada Cody because she just makes things happen. I'm not just at the plate, but on the base paths, but uh, there's a layout for uh, UCF softball with these five games coming up this weekend. Um, and then of course, playing uh, big 10 opponent Rutgers uh, a week from when we're recording this Tuesday, the 14th is when UCF plays a doubleheader against the Scarlet Knights of Rutgers. Okay, uh, and then last uh, but not least, Bryson, we'll wrap up with uh, uh, what you were mentioning, women's golf. Um, this is starting to shape up to be a rather historic season uh, for UCF women's golf uh, as uh, they make some more headlines uh, from their most recent tournament. But give us the recap. What happened? So... First thing, the rain actually shortened the tournament to two rounds. That ended up ha- that ended up happening at, in Gainesville. They were playing in the Gators Invitational up there. But have a, have a tournament for true freshman Pimpissa Sisutham. Her nickname is Sandwich, actually. So Sandwich shot a 62 in her second round in tournament. That's the first 62 in program history. Just uh, not th- not long 
after Anna Nordfors shot the first 64 and 63, and she ended up winning the entire tournament with a 12 in a three-hole playoff with Florida's Macy Filler. Macy Filler. She ended up finishing seven under for the tournament after shooting an eight under round. She is the third different women's golfer to win an individual tournament this season alongside her countrywoman Tanrata Pitten and Anna Nordfors at the at, at the UCF challenge. Before Tanrata Pitten joined this team a couple seasons ago, there were only three UCF women's golfers that ever won individual tournaments. Kristen Putman, Liz Early, and Ashley Holder. This this team now holds half of the UCF women's golfers to ever ha- win an, indiv- an individual event, which is absolutely mind-boggling. And let's not forget their performance as a team either. They were finished in a tie for second place at the tournament at seven over par with Mississippi State, just four strokes back of host Florida, who finished at three over, by the way. So don't worry about the scores there. The course just played pretty tough this this weekend. But this women's golf team is really shaping up to be historic, like you said, Jeff. And they're going to be back in action real soon because they're going to be traveling up to Kiwa Island, South Carolina for the Briars Creek Invitational that starts this coming Monday. Yeah. All right. So um, that's so far. I mean, it's, <laughs> I love it when we win at Florida's tournament. It's fantastic. Uh, by the way, men's golf also, uh, they have their tournament coming up, Sea Palms Invitational at St. Simons Island, Georgia. So both golf teams kind of making the uh, mid-Atlantic, uh, mid-Atlantic road trip this coming weekend. So uh, that should be fun. Hosted by Western Carolina, the Sea Palms Invitational. So, and uh, they have that's their third to last tournament for the American Athletic Conference. Um, track and field uh, indoors, NCAA. Uh, Renaya Jones has been selected for the uh, NCAA indoors. Nick, you actually are our resident. Uh, you and Bryson, I think, are like competing for our actual track and field uh, experts here because you know. For all the hard work that Bryson's been doing, and and, it, and it's been great. Nick, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I know he doesn't like to brag, but Nick actually competes in NCAA track meets as you're an unattached distance runner. Is that right? Uh, hoping to be like, I don't, a couple of weeks ago, we, I'm part of the run club here at UCF. We went up to Emory-Riddle University and Daytona, and we competed against some schools, a couple D2, a couple NAIA. And Don't let his modesty fool you, folks. He's Nick is out there with his UCF you know, yeah. tank out there. I am bringing that up because I don't know what I qualify on there because I don't know what, if that was like an official meet or not. But uh, I'm still trying to convince my uh, the president of our run club to enter me in the upcoming Black and Gold Invitational. Uh, I will get destroyed. I am going to point that out. But uh, you know what? I just want to do it just because. So, okay. Well, here's here's why I bring this up: is you are you are like analyst level expert at track and field as far as we are concerned, um, especially in the district, but also you know, but also for the sprints as well. Renaya Jones in the NCAA um, championships. I want to get both of your takes on this, Nick. What's what kind of shot does Renaya have here? She's going to be competing in the sixty meter hurdles. She was third in the nation last year. Um, she uh, what's her PB right now? I think eight point oh eight. So, what are the odds here that she can bring home the goal? She's got a shot. I mean, you mentioned it. She's had success in the event the past few years. She's arguably one of the best track athletes that UCF has ever had. I, I would feel I wouldn't be shocked if she won it. I I definitely think she can be in the. She I would really expect a podium finish out of her. I really have think that much of her, but I think she's got a good shot shot at taking it, take you know winning it all. Bryson. So she'll be coming up against one of her old uh, national level nemeses in track and field in Masai Russell from Kentucky. She also qualified for for this event one thing i've noticed out of renaya is that she hasn't had the fastest times that i saw from her indoor last year that got her onto the podium that's something that i'm definitely keeping an eye on i'm not underestimating her by the way i think there's a there is a a, i think of school of thought in track and field that you that you try to save your best for last and Mm -hmm. so 
I think, and so who knows? I think we could very well see Renaya Jones uh, save her best for last in this indoor conference championship. But with that said, she is going to have to go face Masai Russell, who has been a thorn in her side nationally in all of her NCAA championship appearances. But to see her appear here really and consistently too, because that she has now competed in her in two outdoor and two indoor championships, which I don't think we've seen in the, seen in the Dana Boone era of the of this track and field team. So already making it here. Renaya Jones has already cemented the fact of why she is among the pantheon of historic female athletes here on the here on this campus. Now it's just a matter of okay, let's see what she can do at the national level and see if she can finally take down Masai Russell. Yeah. By the way, Masai Russell and and Renaya Jones, you mentioned this last year, uh, Bryson. Renaya came in third to behind Russell by four one thousandths of a second in the 60 hurdles grace stark i mean yeah nick you're like that's basically one inch and grace stark was the winner from florida she's a sophomore um she actually set the ncaa record in the 60 hurdles at 7.78 uh so yeah last year so that that gives you an idea like renaya was at 7.947 masai was at 7.943, 7.943, and they were still almost two-tenths of a second behind Grace Stark. Um, but that's kind of the times that you're looking at. How much do you improve, as you know, Nick, how much do you improve from meet to meet, especially over not just in the short term but in the long term? So, boy, this is going to be uh, this is gonna be fun to watch. Uh, Nationals will take place this coming weekend, March 10th to the 11th, uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the 60-meter hurdle prelims are at 6.55 Eastern on day one. The finals will be at 6.40 Eastern on day two, and those will be on ESPN+. Plus. All right, boys. I think we got to wrap it up for now. Um, oh, by the way, Nick, you mentioned um, Alex Ward at the NFL Combine. We, caught, uh, we took a look at that earlier, so he will await his... Next opportunity. And one last little thing that, you know, Nick and I are obviously paying close attention to. Pretty cool this weekend seeing Terrence Plummer, Rennell Hall, and Adrian Killens together uh, in the XFL at the Guardians uh, Renegades game out in uh, out in Dallas. Uh, three UCF alumni getting together out there. Nick is going to have Nick has his uh, XFL uh, UCF recap up uh, here today, as well as the Guardians come back home uh, for one more game uh, for their second home game uh, this coming weekend, and we will be there covering that as well as everything else on UCF Sports. Um, thanks again to all the guys. Bryson's at it's Bryson Turner. Nick is at Nick Porcelli two, the number two. Kyle at VSOTG for the student of the game. Andrew at Statboy Drew. I am at Jeff underscore Sharon. Don't forget Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. And we are collectively at UCF Banneret underscore SBN. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for all the latest uh, on uh, UCF sports, including our all of our post-game interviews. And this is going to be obviously critical this week with UCF men's and women's basketball in the conference tournaments as well if you listen to this podcast and you subscribe we thank you make sure you leave us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts uh and then also if you don't well make sure you do tell some friends uh as we head into our last one we're still waiting on the whole rebrand thing i i've been i've been on uh been monitoring things with the uh with the powers that be at sb nation but we'll keep you updated as soon as they update us on what's going to happen with our branding and obviously our feed but our feed from what i understand will be staying the same just make look a little bit different about a month or so. anyway for all of us here at black and gold banner i'm jeff sharon saying thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next week enjoy march madness hopefully we may have some more basketball to talk about we'll see 